0: Thank you. and welcome to the first episode of Season 3 of Stargazer. I'm sitting here on Valentine's Day 2021 with my beloved husband, Andre.
1: Hello! <laughs> Hello, Stargazers! <laughs>
0: um, because it's Valentine's Day and we've been having coffee together this morning, we thought that it was a really good opportunity to talk about love and what love means to us and our relationship. And as we were doing that, we felt inspired to actually get back into this work of podcasting. And I was reflecting that it's been about a year, a little less than a year, since I recorded the first episode of Stargazer. That was March of 2020. It's
1: been like 51 weeks. I mean, it really, it was like, it was like the last week of... February that you recorded the first episode, and it's the second to last week of February this year, so...
0: Yeah, and I felt really inspired to record a podcast at this time last year, and the inspiration has taken over once again. Um, But yeah, it's Valentine's Day, everybody, so happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Andre. Happy
1: Valentine's Day, Rachel.
0: (laughs) Um, So, my husband, Andre, and I have... A lot that we want to reflect on because this is the holiday that is devoted to love. And we want to talk about the love that we share and also the love that we both have for art and culture and music, the things that really brought us together. So this is going to be, uh, I guess, a kind of just a very personal, raw conversation that we... Are raw,
1: filtered, uncut. <laughs> hashtag no filter. <laughs> hashtag no makeup.
0: <laughs> I guess so. Something like that, you guys. <laughs> um, so this is the start of the third season of Stargazer, which means that we are committing to recording more episodes, um, conversations between us, and also... Interviews that we do. Yeah, we hope
1: to get grab some grab some great interviews, but we certainly will. You know, if 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 we can't, then we have no excuse because we've got a, each a, other. We've got each other. We've got we've got a blue Yeti mic, mm-hmm. and um, we've uh, neither of us really ever shut the hell up. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's pretty easy to just uh, <laughs> throw on the mic and and capture some some raw, filtered, uncut.
0: I wish it was... Uh,
1: You know, conversating. I wish... (laughs) Conversating on the, you know, the meaning of life and, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that.
0: I wish it was a little bit easier. But there's something about any recording device, a camera or a microphone. As soon as it's on, it changes the atmosphere.
1: Well, yeah, it's weird. It's, It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. It's like because it just turns everything into a performance and you're not... You know. Yes. You know, I I I remember, uh, like at, at my mom's birthday, like I was having a really good time singing her happy birthday, and then like she busted out her camera to get video of it, and then all of a sudden it just got all awkward, and, and you just shut down. Yeah, and everybody right. started like making goofy faces, and oh and my God. you know it was like you know
0: I can't stand it, but yeah. I'm trying to get used to ignoring the little red light. I'm just talking the way that I normally talk, you know. So let's do this, Andre. Let's do this. Okay, let's do
1: this. Cool. Well, I was I was moved. What well, I was really moved by this morning, um, and it and it just really, it's like one of those moments when you're you know when you're following the astrological weather when you're you know when you're doing magic, you just kind of get into this flow where like everything is a synchronicity, and you. You also go through a moment where you literally think everything is a synchronicity and you kind of go mad. But then when you come back from that, it's like that Donovan song. Like, first there is a mountain, then, then there, there is, is no, no mountain, mountain. Then, there is. then there is. You know, like, you, you, everything is a synchronicity again. And yes, it is meaningful, but no, you don't have to, like, stop everything and, like, make an offering and, and write in your magical diary about it either. But this one, I just thought, because it was so it just flowed into so much of what like Rachel and I have been talking about and what Rachel's been writing about on the blog this month that um I just I, it was it, it was so interesting um you know over breakfast as we were exchanging um our, um our our Valentine's Day gifts um we uh KUSC it's like it's it's part of Aeolian heart lore it's like it's the local classical music station that we you know we have on like 24/7 in the house cuz as creative writers it's just like to have on classical music as like a just a feature of the house is like really it helps it helps maintain the flow of productivity and it helps maintain the stream of creativity. It helps
0: plants grow. It
1: helps plants and grow. It helps us write. Yeah, and it helps us write. <laughs> so they were playing. Um, they were playing from it's my favorite, probably my favorite um, part from the um, the Ma- Mozart's opera, the Magic Flute, which you know Rachel wrote about for the Mercury Retrograde in Aquarius. Um, where it's the uh, the the Papa Papageno or Papageno, I, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. The Papageno uh, Papageno song, the the pa uh, <laughs> and I I like I, I think it's just that's when you know that's when the the his, the comic sidekick to Prince Tamino in the play meets his love, and you know they fall in love and they have like a thousand little a million little bird children. Um, and it was so sweet that that came on at that exact moment on the radio while we were exchanging our, our, our gifts because we, after Rachel uh, published the, the Mercury um, the Retrograde and Aquarius article, we rented the, uh, the Magic Flute film, um, ver- the version of the Magic Flute that Ingmar Bergman produced in the 70s for Swedish television. And um, while we were watching that, we realized that like pa- Papageno um is actually like the hero of the story you know if you don't know much about that about the magic flute it's uh you know mozart was a mason and it's this like really it's this crazy um the libretto was by his uh by by the uh, the the um his uh partner in crime in um in in the uh in the Masonic uh lodge that he was in Emmanuel Steincker i believe his name is pronounced um and it's about the a prince who is a, you know who's um given this who falls in love with the daughter of the queen of the night and he has to go save her from this evil sorcerer Sarastro and
0: It's an alchemical it's, allegory. it's an
1: alchemical allegory you know but you then you find that that the that the sorcerer he's not a sorcerer not an evil sorcerer he's actually a wise he's he's a, a wise sage um and the entire time this noble prince who's who's you know he's the tenor of the opera he has this comic foil sidekick Papa, papageno who's like this bird man with like a cage on his back and you know at at the time that it, it premiered um the the actor who played Papageno actually wasn't even a trained vocalist, so you had this like you would, It was this contrast between like the trained vocalist, the uh, you know the trained singer playing Prince Tamino, this ro- this this royalty, and then Papageno, this this comedic actor, this co- comic foil um, to like the straight man. Um, who really could, who could carry a tune, but he wasn't a pro singer. And while we were watching that, you know, the, the Ingmar Bergman version, we realized that that pa- Papageno was actually like the real hero of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, that like this, it's, you know, it, the, the the kind of the allegory is that, is that Tamino's quest to save, to, to go through these trials in this temple are like the esoteric expression of, really love or uh, you know it's, it's esoteric love the love of the love of the beloved but papa Gaino, his story is actually he just wants a wife he's just looking for a girl he's just looking for like mundane love you know that's like exoteric religion you know that's mm-hmm. like that's just that's devotional worship you know mm-hmm. whereas um yeah like the 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 tamino saga is m- way more this like you know the, the the pursuit of the divine which yes you need You need to do, no doubt. I mean, that's what... If you're listening to this podcast, that's probably what you're doing in life, you know?
0: It's heaven and earth. It's
1: heaven and earth. But yeah, the...
0: Tamino is looking for celestial divine love. Exactly. And Papageno is terrestrial. It's actually two expressions of Venus. So in astrology, Venus rules both Taurus, an earth sign, and Libra, an air sign. So... The expression of Venus in Taurus is sensual and is all about exploring the body as the temple, the temple of love, the temple of beauty. It's all about the way things taste and feel and look. It's about honoring and worshiping the divinity that's on earth, the, the divinity that is expressed through flowers and sex and wine and all of these things that we appreciate on earth. Whereas Venus in Libra in the element of air is starting to explore the celestial, uh, the celestial terrain, which I guess terrain is the wrong word, but the celestial regions where things are ideal, things are heavenly, things are um, ethereal. And they're from the, you know, the realm of platonic ideals. <laughs> like, so that's closer to heaven. And Venus in Taurus is, of course, very much close to the earth. So I feel like in the magic flute, they're just showing us two aspects of Venus, two exalted and dignified aspects of venus venus in her rulership of taurus that's papagino
1: and okay. he he can never the whole idea is that when they're going they're going through these trials to gain to to earn the worthiness of their love mm-hmm. uh, of the their their beloved that that the you know uh Tamino takes his the trials very seriously and he <sighs> takes a vow of silence mm-hmm. and And he won't he won't drink, he won't eat, you know, he's, he's like this, he won't speak. He's just very, very like prim, very proper in, in, in how he's doing and how he's, he's very aesthetic. Yeah. And and Papageno just, he, 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 he fails every trial. Like he, he like, he can't shut the hell up. You know, he can't, he can't stop talking about how hungry he is. He can't stop eating. He can't stop drinking. But he's still redeemed in the end, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still, he's still the, his love, you know, the, the, and I think, I don't know. It's like, again, it's like exoteric and esoteric religion too. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like this idea that, you know, like it, the idea of like being saved by grace. Like really when your heart is actually just in the right place. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're actually just a good, good soul who's doing good things Mm -hmm. in the world, like, yeah, you will be, you will, you will be redeemed. Mm -hmm. You know, you will actually, if if you are a pure of spirit, Mm -hmm. whether or not you like maintain the vow of silence, you know, like you will be, you will be redeemed, you know? Um, and that
0: All roads lead to Rome.
1: All roads, all roads lead to, um, all roads lead to, uh, yeah, all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to um, heaven and earth.
0: Oh my God. (laughs) Well... I I really I love fairy tales. I have um <laughs> very I have very simple tastes in a lot of ways. Very old fashioned tastes in a lot of ways. And I am still absolutely delighted and moved by fairy tales. And I feel like I mean, that is kind of verboten nowadays. Well, I remember when I was in grad school there was there was a particular class where, you know, they were They were applying critical theory to fairy tales, and I actually got really angry, and I stood up and I explained that this literal interpretation of fairy tales is gross. It's the same problem that we have with Bible literalism. So, you know, a lot of the distaste that we have for the religion of Christianity comes from Bible literalism. Which just locks one into such a rigid and dogmatic view of everything that you become alienating. You alienate everyone, I should say.
1: that you believe that dinosaurs were put there by the devil to deceive us.
0: Things like that. And it gets far worse than that because it starts to it starts to condemn people for being human, you know, and it's it's a terrible thing. Um, but we do the same thing in so many other fields, and certainly um, the gross misinterpretation of fairy tales as just being, <laughs> Stories about weak women who need men to complete them, etc., etc. I mean, that's a really basic, a, a basic description of what academics have reduced fairy tales to. Um, as an astrologer and somebody who absolutely loves folk tales and mythology, I'm a symbolic language person, and so. Um, I've always loved fairy tales from my childhood forward. I had a giant book of Grimm's fairy tales that I read cover to cover endlessly. I was kind of always reading it at some point, just pull out a, pull out a fairy tale here and there all the time, always reading them, um, always had read the original, versions of the Disney films. Also, you know, I was that kid. And um, when I was a child, I didn't know more about the esoteric meanings of fairy tales, of course, but I felt it. It's a primal language, the symbolism that mythology has in it. And so later on, as I progressed in my studies, I came to understand that all fairy tales are alchemical metaphors. And so the the classic fairy tale that tells the love story between a princess and a prince or a fair maiden and a beautiful young man, a noble man, these are all metaphors that describe two halves of every person searching for one another. Specifically in alchemy, the spirit, which is the prince, and the soul, which is the princess. The soul being the feminine aspect of ourselves and the spirit being the masculine.
1: The the yin and the yang. The yin and The the yang. The shakti and the shiva.
0: Absolutely. It's universal language, you know. And so the reason why fairy tales resonate so deeply, whether people want to admit it or not, is because to be divided inside of yourself, to have the spirit and the soul separated, is agony. It hurts. You feel... Hollow, empty, long you feel a a great sense of yearning and longing and sadness. And of course, that is always in it's in every fairy tale about romance. It's the longing and the yearning. The prince longs for this maiden, and the maiden is longing for this prince. And that's where, you know, academics just don't get it, because they take it literally. Like, and they they think.
1: I mean, they take everything. They take it
0: literally, and and they they have a problem with it as it applies to society today. So they think it's sociologically irresponsible, etc., etc.
1: That's like a favorite word of theirs. Irresponsible, (laughs)
0: sociologically irresponsible.
1: Irresponsible.
0: And I'm like, no, it's actually that you are missing the point. It's a part of the human experience. It's a part of the struggle in life to feel that divide that split inside being pulled in two directions. And the longing that each one of us has for fulfillment is the longing to bring spirit and soul back together. And that is what the alchemical process, the alchemical journey is all about. So when the spirit and the soul unite in alchemy, that happens in the heart specifically. So the heart is considered in alchemy to be the sort of the the bridal chamber of the king and the queen, the prince and the princess, the king and the queen in alchemy represent the spirit and the soul. And in the heart, they have their bedchamber and they come together. And in that union, that intimate union between the spirit and soul, something is born. (laughs) And what is born is the divine child, which is you, you know, but you need the spirit and the soul to be In union, you need them merged to actually evolve and grow into the being that you are meant to become. So, fairy tales are trying to instruct the mythic and symbolic part of your consciousness, which used to be, I believe, much more sophisticated in human beings. Um, I believe that the overly technocratic, overly, you know. I guess the overly literate, overly technologically enhanced world that we live in has really numbed out and sort of dumbed down the the mythopoeic intelligence. I believe that in a less technologically advanced society, we would have a much deeper well of memory to draw from, and contained in that deep well of memory is a tremendous depth of symbolic awareness, mythic consciousness. And that's the part of us that understands innately what fairy tales are actually about. So yeah, Mozart wrote The Magic Flute. He was a mason. He was an alchemical mason specifically. He was a great genius. And his fairy tale, this opera that he wrote, was for the common person. It was not for the elite crowd.
1: It was like the it was like the fairy tale knee plus ultra, as Terence McKenna would say. Like it was like, it was like the alt. I mean, he took mm-hmm. he did like what you know Mo- Mozart and uh, did for the fairy tale, like mm-hmm. what like George Lucas did for like the the Saturday matinee, like you know, Ray gun, like, spa- you know, Spaceman story. He made
0: it into a blockbuster. Like, yeah,
1: I mean, he, yeah. not beyond a blockbuster. I mean, he just, he made it into this, this grandiose, like, And for, like, you know, the ap- average person. Art. Yeah, for the average person. For the average for person. The, yeah, I mean, he maintained... Not for
0: a sci-fi elite crowd, No, no, but... absolutely not, no.
1: He maintained, that's what I'm saying, he, ma- he while maintaining the integrity mm-hmm. of the fairy tale, mm-hmm. he still, like, he just blew it up to just such epic proportions you know
0: meaning that he wasn't expecting his audience to have esoteric knowledge he wasn't expecting the average audience member that came to the magic flute when it premiered to understand all of the signals and all of the symbols and all of the signs and all of the secret codes that were masonic he did not expect that but what he did feel and know is that the average person back then has such a depth of symbolic awareness, a mythopoeic intelligence that they would understand. They would understand the story in a really deep way, no matter what. And so that's what the magic flute was in its time. It was actually not a super elite, super sophisticated play. It was actually, it was a,
1: it did not play at the posh opera houses. It no. was played at the people's opera house. I yeah, mean, it was. It was for I I I got when I <laughs> yeah no when I when we when we watched the Birdman film, I I I, I ordered a a large uh, extra large cheese pizza, <laughs> and at first I'm sitting there like just I'm like drenching my my pizza in like you know sriracha sh- sauce and like you know and and craft Parmesan cheese, and I'm like thinking to myself like is this, is this proper? Should I be, shouldn't I be like eating like, I don't know, should not I not be eating? This is opera. I should be respecting the opera. And then I realized like, no, this is, you know, back when this premiered, like they probably would have had like, you know, beer and bratwurst in the theater, you know, like it it was like the people's, it was the, the opera house for the people, you know, like you would, they were eating like popcorn and, and, you know, they were, you know, jumbo dogs and, and uh, you know, and, like, lar- and, and, uh, like a, an extra-large, you know, um, extra-large, uh, you know, uh, cherry Pepsi, you know?
0: Maybe. You know? like. <laughs> that being said, what does something uh, like the Magic Flute do for the audience who ne- doesn't necessarily have any prior knowledge of the alchemical language, the Masonic codes? Like, they don't know any of these things consciously, um, and yet, the power of a play that describes this journey of the soul and spirit finding each other and coming together, both in the Papagino story and in the Prince Tamino story, what does that do for us as audience members? What do you think?
1: Well, I think it's it, It's it's an unconscious... It awakens the initiation that is constantly within mm-hmm. that that it lies dormant. We are born with are, are, we are born initiated. We are born initiates. Mm-hmm. We just there's a veil that's cast over it. Mm-hmm. And I think that things like the Magic Flute or even Star Wars, which is you know, like really, which is George Lucas's take on the hero's journey. Um, as told through the lens of, like, a, you know, Buck Rogers, like, Saturday matinee style um, space space opera. I mean, it's a space opera. Mm-hmm. Um, these awaken, you know, these, these primal, archetypal, unconscious forces within. And I think specifically with the magic flute, um, it reminds us that what are, what, of what, what the pursuit of love is about uh, love and relationships are in the mundane world mm-hmm. on in the earthly plane, you know, that you're not just out to get laid. You're not just out to fulfill some kind of social obligation. Mm-mm. You're not just out to fill the void. Mm-mm. You know, that there is, that there actually is some higher purpose to your, um, to, to romance um, that, that, it, it that romance and marriage itself is this system, this form of initiation.
0: Yeah. You know, that's, there's a, there's always been a, I feel like a competition between the social obligation, the social contract, because marriage has always been that as well. But there's also been at least, at least since the medieval age, but I suspect long, long before that, because love has been one of the subjects of philosophy since the ancient classical world, but um, definitely since the medieval period, there's been a great like I guess tension between the social contract, the social obligation, the sort of economic quote unquote purpose of marriage, and then the higher ideal of it, which is what of course fairy tales are always about. Um, we never write stories. Oh, that's not true. I mean, we do write stories, but like there's never a great myth or a great symbolic play about fulfilling your social obligation. <laughs> or like, and in fact, in all of the great stories that we love, from you know the greatest myths, the greatest fairy tales, to like blockbuster films, anyone who's any character that's getting shoved into marriage just to fulfill an economic need or a social obligation is always miserable, and we always see them escape, and we all applaud. Because there's something deep down inside of every person that knows how wrong that is. Because it's not spiritually fulfilling. It's not the spirit and soul finding each other. It's not a union that brings the next level of evolution. You know, in fact, it, it, it creates stagnation or even devolution to do something just out of obligation. So everyone knows that that's not love. And yet... right now I really feel like we live in a very cynical world that's always trying to say things like love is just a social construct (laughs) they're always trying to reduce it down to like biology which there's certainly a lot of interesting things about biology that can be observed pheromones and oxytocin and you know endorphins and things like that that can all be observed but that's not that's not love. And then trying to just say that people only, they only pair bond or only come together as, as partners out of some social obligation. I mean, these things are very cynical in my mind.
1: Well, the world's gotten, the world's become a much more cynical place since, you know, Mozart and Skenniker wrote um, are, the magic flute. It's, yes. yeah, I mean, it's even become a more cynical place since George Lucas um, made Star Wars. You but know, it's it's just people are really they're they're burned out. It's the I I, materialist, I mean I can't blame them. It's in, the in materialist a lot of ways. dogma.
0: It's a world yeah. where we look at everything as dead matter, and you can always you could pick up a rock and just say this is dead matter. It's inert. That's the like the sort of I guess the bare bones of the Enlightenment era that we're still stuck in. Not for long. We're we've actually we're exiting. We are exiting now. Like that is the time that we are in um, spirit is returning to matter, which I'm so grateful for because it's just, it's innate and obvious to me that everything is alive, that everything has consciousness. Um, but imagine like if you're stuck in this paradigm, which is so limited and so blinding that you think that everything is dead unless it's like walking around and talking. (laughs) So naturally, from that well, I've, perspective... I've
1: definitely met some rocks that are way more alive than people.
0: Right. But if you insist that they're dead, that there's, they're inert, that they're just dead matter, if you insist, and that's how you see everything, you can absolutely see every kind of, not just relationships, not just romantic relationships, but every kind of human experience as being something that's that cynical and that dead, you know, certainly if you think that everything's inert and everything's just dead matter, and there's no spirit in anything, you won't understand the spiritual element of a romantic relationship, nor will you be able to understand why people are great friends, nor will you be able to understand really anything about human beings. So that's where we're at. We're trying to understand what it is to be human Through the most alienating and kind of like nonsensical lenses, I feel like the writer that best understood the direction that human beings were headed in, in the century we're living in now, was um, Jonathan Swift. Mm. I think he understood the absurdity and the ugliness and the stupidity that would be exalted in our time, (laughs) like... I mean, so did William Blake for sure. He had some great quotes, but Jonathan Swift made it funny. And that to me is always like the greatest gift. That's the greatest form of alchemy, I think, is being able to turn darkness into. Laughter is
1: the best medicine. Yeah, like. Laughter is the best medicine. The
0: dark age that we're living in uh, needs a lot of humor. Um,. And which is becoming more and more rare.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you, you never know whose ste- toes you're going to step on when right. you tell a joke these days. So it's, but, you know, you got to like have like a, you got to have like a backroom meeting uh, with like a special password. Right. Uh, where you get to go hear jokes being told nowadays. But, right. you know, I digress.
0: So, let's see. Um, one of the reasons that I, I believe in love. I believe in love. In a romantic sense, and I also believe in the deep love of friendship. And I believe that it has an ineffable spiritual foundation. Um, It cannot be explained merely by social constructs, social order.
1: Well, let's talk about love. Let's talk about... um Let's talk about what 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 um, how we how we fell in love. Let's talk about what 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 uh, inspired us. I like your smile. I love your smile that you have right now. Thanks. It's really cute. It's really pretty. That's why I fell in love with you.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. Like Aww. well, I mean, you know, we just we spent um, you know we just spent a, a good a good a good portion of this recording uh, of the of this uh, podcast talking about met um, the Magic Flute, and um, you know one of the. I think that the thing that really, that we really bonded over when we first met, we met a long time ago. We met, it was like, it was like ancient history. Do you want to tell them how long we met? How long we've been together?
0: I, I met Andre when I was 18 years old and we started dating when we were 19 years old.
1: And nineteen that, years that was, old. that was, um... Um, let's just say that, that, um, I, I don't even think that we had entered the Iraq war yet for the second time at that time.
0: No, we had, let's just say that that was March of 2003. It was six months after the Iraq war started that that we began to date. We
1: began dating when yellow Hummers with tinted windows were a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) Yes. And we, we we shared a great sense of revulsion at the way that the United States, the American culture had just, it completely, it was like a balloon that just popped. And I'm not saying there was no signs of decay. Well, I, I don't
1: know. I think it was like a balloon that w- w- should have popped. And then you're looking at it and it's just it just kept going.
0: I guess. It kept going way <laughs> past
1: the point that it should have popped. And then, I mean, it finally did pop, Ugh. but, and the reason why we, 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 we were so disgusted with the, the state of culture is because we've always had, um, what I at least believe to be like an, a genuine, authentic, um, uh, unpretentious love of culture, mm-hmm. of art, of literature, of, music and film and poetry um and that's really how we started bonding you mm-hmm. know we, we met in this class uh th- there was like this like free form experimental class at community college um
0: humanities hu- 101 humanities
1: 101 was taught by three um three three different professors from three different departments it was like a, a lit professor a film professor and a history professor and you know i mean it was it it was really like um it was just like it was like uh, it was like an early blog or something. You it know was what I mean? So it was awesome. like it was just like So
0: we started we dove into Frankenstein right away. One of my favorite novels. I couldn't believe like the I don't even want to go into my high school experiences. I dropped out of high school, everybody, and Andre never went.
1: I never went. Yeah, I was I was I was, ra- I was raised I was I was a feral animal who was raised by wolves.
0: Yeah, pretty much. When I yeah. met Andre he was a feral animal. Which I liked. Um, but here's a the lot thing. It's all that Aquarian energy. <laughs> well, I actually, I didn't know about, I didn't know how to read my own natal chart when we met. I was not an astrologer yet at all. It, as in, my, in my late teens, I didn't know anything about it. So I met Andre way before I knew anything about our charts. I knew I was a Virgo. He was a Capricorn. That was it. You know, nothing beyond that. Um, but yeah, Andre never went to high school. And so his mannerisms... Were strange. He had his own vibe, his own beat, his own rhythm. He was a very strange, funny, kind of slightly offensive person. Like, he would just speak honestly is what I mean. I mean, like, bluntly and frankly, he would tell people what was on his mind, even if he knew they wouldn't like it.
1: I I would lose a lot of cool... I was like... I had, like, a negative balance of cool points with all the cool people.
0: It's true. There was, you know, there was a cool place to hang out where everyone would sit around and smoke cigarettes and talk about things that were on our mind. And he was pretty much, like, rejected from all decent company under this tree because he was always honest about everything. And he said things that you were not supposed to say at the time. And, of course... I had never met anybody like this before, and I found that I really appreciated it immensely. I thought it was so refreshing. I'm like, finally, somebody's just being themselves. And it inspired me in a lot of ways to come out more, come out of my shell a little bit more. But I'm digressing. What I wanted to get to is that I...
1: Um, <laughs> We're not exactly digress. I mean, it's it's you're getting to the. Uh, to
0: so the reason why I was so grateful for this class was because I had dropped out of high school because quite seriously, the school that I went to. This is Southern California, you guys. Our public schools are atrocious, and I am not exaggerating. I could not actually stand to be force-fed this lackluster, pathetic education, and I really felt like I deserved more. I did my own reading, I did my own thing, and I just absolutely stopped going to class. And I, I would go to school occasionally, and when I did go to school, I would just ditch all of my classes and I would go to the girls' locker room and paint murals. And the the teacher that was like, looking out for the girls' locker room the coach, she was totally fine with me being there because she knew that I needed like a sanctuary. And that's a long story. I don't want to go into too many details about that, but I basically got no legitimate education in high school. I just, it was like my own self motivated, autodidactic interests were maintained by myself and myself alone. So by the time that I ended up going to community college, where I met Andre. I was so excited because we actually had really good classes, like legitimately good classes. So my first community college class is like, we're diving straight into Frankenstein. We're going to be studying all of this art. We're going to be watching great films. And we did all of this. It was just this.
1: Didn't we watch the, uh, what's the Mozart movie called? Um, Amadeus? Yeah. Yeah, we we watched Amadeus in that class. Didn't it was we? so yeah. fun. Yeah. We just like bring we, it all full circle.
0: It was an <sighs> incredible array of history and art and philosophy and film. It was you know six hours a week. This class it was worth a lot of units. I remember it was a huge endeavor had to write essays and all of this, you know, and I was so, um, it was actually the first, like, really good essay that I ever wrote, because, like I said, my high school education was bunk, so I was never actually challenged to write an essay, so anyways, Andre was in this class, and um, at the time, I guess I should just tell the truth, at the time, um, I was going through a lot of, of difficulties, you know, I was, I was having a really hard teenage, Breakdown. I mean, really hard. Some really bad stuff had happened recent in recent history at this time, and so I had taken to abusing ridiculous amounts of alcohol, and I was also taking pills that had been prescribed to me. So, needless to say, I was just a little girl, and I was
1: vulnerable, uncut alert.
0: I was just a little girl, and I was really messed up, and so I had. Taken so many pills and drank so much alcohol one night that I fell into a dresser, which gave me the most hideous black eye that you've ever seen. It was humiliating. And it was, I was in a very dark place. I was so sad. And I also had this now like scarring, hideous black eye, swollen face. And um, I had to go to school like that. And I couldn't even drive, you know. My dad had to drive me to school. (laughs) So I was like, I was in a very dark place. I was just kind of totally humiliated and deeply depressed. And I went to school. I put sunglasses on. I'm like, I sat in the back of this humanities class. And I'm like, I hope nobody talks to me. I hope nobody sees me. I just want to sit here and take my notes and then get out of here. And um, that's when, you know, Andre...
1: Well, the reason why I came up to you, it was I didn't just come up to her. It, I had met her the weekend before. Yeah. And the reason why I had met her the weekend before was that um, I was hanging out with some mutual friends. And they said, uh, we got to go visit Rachel in the hospital. And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, this, she's had, their friend Rachel's had a surgery. She was in a car accident. Um, we should bring her some flowers and then we get to the hospital and I realize it's, it's not that kind of hospital.
0: Oh my God. Okay. You guys, true story. I was 5150 for taking all these pills and drinking alcohol. And I had this black eye. 5150 means you're put into a mental ward. So I was put into a mental hospital for a brief stint
1: and um, so these, these people, they, I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie A Woman Under the Influence with uh, the John Cassavetes film where like, um, what's her name? Gina, uh, uh, I forget, I forget his wife's name. She was, she was great. But, you know, like she gets out of a mental hospital and like he throws her like a, a he throws her like a potluck. And it, and it had... This th- is
0: worse than that. This, this is,
1: no, this is way worse than that. I'm just, I'm like this... I can't
0: believe you're telling this. <laughs> like, Okay. I'm
1: sorry. Truth.
0: Is that um,
1: they, these people just brought this? Per- I was a perfect stranger to Rachel. I just I thought it was so.
0: They thought it was exciting and dramatic that they had a friend that was in peril, and I was uh,
1: and it, yeah, I thought locked
0: was... up in a mental hospital. And so I had uh, visiting hours, and
1: they brought they this wanted, perfect stranger. They Sorry. wanted
0: to visit me. Um, they were not my very dear friends. They were just people I knew, but they wanted to visit me. And they brought a perfect stranger with them during visiting hours to say hi to me. Now, naturally, um, I am not in a good place (laughs) in this place. Uh, I'm not very happy. It was very scary. I was only 18 years old, and I was in a ward with a bunch of adults because I was a legal adult, but I was actually just a kid. Um, I had this huge, ugly, disfiguring black eye, and... I see during visiting hours, I'm sitting at, um, you know, I'm sitting in a chair and all of these people that I know from school are walking down the hallway to come say hi to me. And
1: I'm carrying like flowers and a teddy bear. behind them is somebody... That's what you do when you visit people in the hospital.
0: So behind them is somebody I've never seen before, which I was horrified because I saw this skinny, pale boy who looked like Ian Curtis... Um, at the end of the hall and I had never seen him before. I did look like
1: Ian Curtis. I did and look I a lot so like Ian Curtis. And I was so
0: upset. I was so upset because I didn't want anybody to see me like this. Like I was, so I ran inside my room and hid and I don't really know what happened after that. So anyways, long story short.
1: To make a long story even longer. No. So when, when I saw, so hard for we me. didn't, we didn't real, I didn't realize that she was in this humanities class. So then, and, and I just had felt, so I was, I mean, like I said, like I, 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 I got this. You must I, have
0: felt like an idiot. I felt like an idiot.
1: I'm walking in with flowers and like a teddy bear. Cause I, I thought you were like in a car accident or had like a surgery or something. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, nobody was clear with, they were all like really like pat, like evasive with what, what, what the conditions of the hospitalization were, you know? And so like, I felt, I felt really awkward, like really awkward. I did feel like an idiot. So then when I saw her she, and then I realized like she walks into class, I'm like, that's the girl. That was the girl. That I saw last week, and like I did, I'm
0: hiding in the back of class. And I, I, with sunglasses on, just saying under my breath, like praying, basically every minute that I have. I'm praying. Like I just got out of a mental hospital. I still have a disfiguring black eye, and I'm still deeply depressed. And the reason why I was deeply depressed, really quick, everybody, my very, very dear friend, somebody I loved immensely, uh, killed himself the year before. And it was, it hadn't even been a year. I mean, it was just, it just tore me up inside and I would, other things had gone on and I I had a very unstable home already. So many things just fell apart at once. So that's why I was in that state and I was just a kid. And so I'm sitting in the back of class, just praying that nobody talks to me because all I want is to take notes and put myself back together. Because even in this state which is how much I love art <laughs> and literature. Even in the state that I was in, I felt grateful to be in this class. And I felt like with my notebook and my pencil in hand, I like to write with pencil, my notebook and my pencil, I can like start to weave myself back together. I could start to pull myself out of this. If I could just have some work to do, if I could just have something to study, if I could just listen to a lecture, that brings me back to a state of transcendent bliss, which is what this class was. So even though I felt that bad, I was still happy to be in class, but I didn't want anybody to see me. I didn't want to talk to anybody. In this class, they assigned us to go to a museum. So uh, what
1: I came up to you, though. Yeah, that's the, the icebreaker.
0: Yeah, well, so they told I mean, us that we had to go to a museum. I know, and, and I
1: I saw Rachel like walk into the class, yeah. and I'm like, that's, and I'm like, I, i it's been it had been on my mind like all week, like how awkward that was, and I was like, will I ever see that girl again? Will I get to actually explain to her like I didn't know <laughs> that your friends were taking me to see you in a mental hospital? Like, wanted to I, apologize. that I just and I just wanted to apologize, but I didn't also want to go up and be like. Hey, sorry. Hey, sorry about that. So, and you know, like Rachel said earlier, like I'm a really irreverent guy. I just, I take a chance saying really inappropriate things. So like okay. I go up to her and I was like, I'm like, and I just kind of this look on my face, like, you know, like real, like kind of like, ha- like, 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 you know, sarcastic, snarky, smirky, jokey look, you know? And I'm like, so, uh, did you fall down some stairs? <laughs> and she laughed just like that. She like burst into the laughter just like that. <laughs> And that's what I was like, okay, cool. It was like, it was an okay thing to say. It and then, was such
0: a relief. Yeah. Because I felt, it was also, it's not just the words, it was the energy he had. The energy was sweet and very welcoming, but also he wanted to cheer me up. And that to me, instead of acting like he was afraid of me or acting like, you know, too, I guess, patronizing or whatever, you know, afraid of me instead of being super delicate and weird or just, you know totally ignoring me completely, which I actually thought that I wanted, but it was actually wonderful that he wasn't afraid to come up to me and joke with me. So it really like snapped me out of um, the level of alienation that I had felt. I felt like I could talk to this person immediately. So we were assigned to go to a museum to study a piece of art and write an essay about it. And so Andre actually invited me to go with him. Um, So we exchanged numbers actually that day. And I was completely like, I, I was so embarrassed in a certain way. And I like brought my friend with me to the museum. So it's not like, I actually was being super cautious of everything at that time.
1: You, you, you brought it, it was old, very old fashioned. You brought a chaperone. I, I brought... <laughs> very
0: My friend Kristen, a chaperone. <laughs> yes, yeah. I brought my friend. I was still a teenage girl. You know, that's what girls do. I didn't know you. And I wasn't going to get into a car with you and go to L.A. to go to a museum without a friend. I think that was wise of me. You know, I didn't know you. But I was having a really good time. Once we got to the museum, I was there with my friend. And we started, like, you know, doing museum exploration together. And mind you, I'm in, like... Uh, I'm in a very dark place, and yet this little museum excursion reminded me of who I was and who I was underneath all of this pain that I had been in, who I was underneath all of this, you know, the drugs and the, the depression and the self-destruction. I was, like, brought back to a state of, I guess, just innocence and enjoyment and so we had such a nice time. So Andre and I became very dear friends, and that's what we remained for a while. We were not it was dating. Very chaste. It was very, very, very,
1: old-fashioned. Ch- oh my
0: God, I was like, I was obviously in no state to start dating somebody. <laughs> like I knew that. I was very, very, very wise about things like that. I was not about to uh, try to use Andre as an escape hatch. I really knew I needed a lot of time to get better at least get stable, you know? And so that's what we did. But Andre and I would talk on the phone all the time and I could tell him anything and vice versa. I mean, Andre, so here's something from our charts that I think is important to take note of. Andre and I are both Sagittarius rising. And of course, like I said, I did not know anything about his chart or my chart really when we met. But we're both Sagittarius rising. We were both born in the same year and we both have Chiron, in Gemini, in the seventh house. So, in short, what that means is that Je- uh, Chiron represents the quality of the major relationships that we will have in our life. So, not only the kinds of friendships that we have, but also each other.
1: We're each other's medicine.
0: We represent Chiron to each other. Now, this is a double edged sword. Okay, so uh, you just heard a little bit of how I represent a wounded person that came into Andre's life. I was deeply wounded, and he knew how to love me. Even when we were just friends, it was all love between us. Um, Very respectful love. He was really, really kind, really patient, really sweet, always made me laugh, and I was all wounded. As soon as um, we became friends, I started to get to know Andre better. We would talk and talk and talk, and he started to share with me a lot about his life. And I found out, oh my goodness, Andre is far more wounded than me.
1: God, <laughs> like, oh, um, right.
0: No, that it was like, wow, dude, he's been through hell. You know, Andre had been through hell in his life. His childhood was so hard. What had happened to him? throughout his, up until that point, basically when we met, like his life had just been hell and that's what I found out. So I, I felt rather than, uh, like repulsed by that or afraid of that, I felt really inspired to do something for him, to be there for him, to be some kind of like support for him. Because I felt so strongly like someone with this many great qualities, who's been through this much, really needs to know that there is loyal and steadfast love for them in this world. And at the time, I don't think that Andre and I could have possibly conceived of staying together this long and getting married. It didn't start like that. I wasn't immediately planning my wedding. It wasn't anything crazy like that. It was just like day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, just feeling strongly. Like I feel loyal to this person, no matter what the things that he's done for me make me feel so overjoyed and so grateful that the only thing I can do is a natural response is show more loyalty and love in return. And that's just kind of the, the sort of tandem bicycle that we've been on ever since. Um, I didn't have a grandiose vision of staying together forever. It wasn't anything that we planned out. It just happened. But we are Chiron to each other. So we have both brought a lot of pain and a lot of wounding into each other's lives. For sure. For
1: sure. I mean, it's it's gotten... It's, it's all, it's gotten, it, there have been moments that have gotten really ugly too. Mm-hmm. Cause there's there certain wounds that you're like not ready to heal. And the oh other God. person is like, no, no, no. Let, I just, I just want to put some alcohol. I just want to swap it with some alcohol and make it better. Oh my God. And you're like, no, I don't leave you. you know, trauma. so yeah, trauma, trauma. But no, I mean,
0: someone that is, loving somebody that has an excessive amount of trauma is not easy. And yet, it seems. I second that. Yeah, it, it's not easy. And then, no, it's,
1: it's hard work. I mean, that's what that's it's what hard work, you know. Right? It's hard work. That's what uh, uh, that's what it's it is alchemical. Mm-hmm. To bring it back to the philosopher's stone, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I was, um, you know, the, the the word kung fu. Um, it's it really it, kung fu really is this this form of uh, of, of uh, you know Chinese Buddhist alchemy because the word kung fu. <laughs> Kung or Gong means work, and Fu means um, like uh, like steady over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like Kung Fu means like work that perfects over a long period of time. That's so, right. the really the Kung Fu of marriage, the Kung Fu of 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 relationships, the That's Kung right. Fu of love. You know, it really is about like this long fight. You know, this long fight that is directed towards this outcome of, um, of perfection, you know? It's
0: kind of been like, I think, very agricultural in a way, too. Because sometimes the seeds that you sow yield such abundant fruit that you're just, you're in bliss. It's heavenly bliss. You can't believe your good fortune. And even though you know you've worked for it, it feels still like a million times more fruitful than anything you could have ever planned on. And then there are other times where famine strikes, and it hurts so bad that there's been a famine. That famine or plague has struck your crops, and there's nothing you could do about it. You've worked so hard and still... The field is bare,
1: but you never abandon. No, you never leave your farm. You're you still never love like, your it's, land. You're never like you know, fuck this. I'm just going to move to the city no. and 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 become a, a no, and and become a, a a burlesque dancer. No, you start again. Yeah, uh,
0: you start again, and that's that's what it's been like. Um, so the the other side of Chiron is the healing element. So Andre represents to me a great healer, and vice versa. We have brought so much healing into each other's lives not just by being there for each other though that's obviously key um but also just the different inspirations that we have the different things that we bring into our relationship th- we have brought so much into each other's lives that have provided the healing that we need each of us needs we could go on and on. It could, it's years and years and years as we've described. So I can't really make it succinct, but a really simple example is Andre started doing Taoist internal alchemy and opened up a whole new world for us, like a truly completely profound new world of learning how to heal oneself, learning about alchemy at a very basic, not not armchair level, not intellectual, actually fundamental, primal, physical alchemy, Um, mind, body, spirit, healing. And then, you know, I started this business that has become like, a great bond in our marriage now because Andre started working with me after I laid down the foundation because he saw that it had so much value and it had so much merit. He was like, I want to do this with you. And I was like, let's go. So now we're doing this together and we work, like, in perfect tandem together on this business because we have gifts that really complement each other. You know, you're good at things that I'm not Yeah, totally. Versa. Well, I mean, that's...
1: And I think that's where... You know, the other aspect of our natal chart that, uh, of our natal charts that is so like conducive to this like flowing marriage, uh, this, this flowing relate, this flowing relationship is, uh, is the, um, you know, your Venus in Libra on the 11th and my Venus in Aquarius in the third. And they're like in this Near mm-hmm. perfect trying with each other. They you are. Know?
0: Our Venuses are in love. Yeah,
1: our Venuses are in love. Our you know? Venuses
0: are in a. They're in a hot and heavy, lesbian yeah. Oh relationship. yeah, no,
1: it's like it's like mine is like the purple haired, <sighs> you know, like the purple haired punk rocker, and yours oh is god. like the my the, dream the, girl, so, like the lipstick sorority girl. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, and you're like, oh. you know, it's like it's like we're in college, and they you're love like, each other. yeah, and you're you're like you're getting really curious, and
0: oh my god, you know what they bring to each other's worlds, you know, it's true. Um, Um, My Venus and Libra, actually, we last night we watched, uh, we watched Alfred Hitchcock films, we watched Vertigo, and we watched Rear Window. And I really took note, like, there is nothing like an Alfred Hitchcock film, especially Vertigo and Rear Window, which are my two favorites of all time, to really present the best of both of our worlds. Venus in Libra is the tremendous sophistication, the grace, the glamour, the aesthetic splendor that Alfred Hitchcock has. The absolute poise and beauty that he brought to the table with every single frame, the clothes, the scenery, oh my God, that's Venus in Libra. Um, And then the Venus in Aquarius is the absolutely... The kinky, alienating, kinky, bizarre, the psychological space that he brings yeah, the into.
1: Yeah, the weird, the, the, <laughs> the sexual repression. Oh, the, my God. Yeah.
0: Just so insane. And, like, so, yeah, like, those those films sing to our Venus placements with equal joy, equal celebration. It celebrates both of our Venuses so well. Um, I love those films. I love Alfred Hitchcock. But, yeah. Um, The other thing about that is, you know, like my Venus in Libra is so relationship oriented. First of all, it's very important for me to feel like I have somebody to harmonize with. And it's very important for me to feel like there's somebody who appreciates my desire to be graceful and to be, you know, elegant and to be, um, I guess a good hostess in a lot of ways is kind of what Venus and Libra and the 11th really is. And I remember when we were still kids, this is when we were still friends, um, a whole gaggle of people came over to my house. I was living with my mom. I was 18, right? They came over to my mom's house and Andre was amongst them. And I offered Andre a glass of water and he was so grateful Because at the time, seriously, our friends, they didn't have manners. They didn't have just basic manners. And it really like broke my heart in one way that I'm like offering somebody a glass of water is a big deal to this poor boy. (laughs) I was like, that's ridiculous. What has happened to the world? I just didn't even, I didn't even think about it. But at the same time, I realized that it made me feel so good that somebody actually appreciated the gesture. I didn't do it for praise, but when somebody appreciates basic common decency, it feels good, and actually, the people that we knew at that time, for the most part, we don't talk to any of those people anymore, and I do have old friends from that time, but they were not included. Um, They didn't appreciate basic manners. They didn't have any, and they didn't appreciate them, and so I always felt so lost and kind of like unseen, but Andre was able to appreciate that I was trying very hard to be a good hostess. And these little things meant so much to me. That's Venus in Libra. Whereas Venus in Aquarius is the part of Andre that was always an outsider and always just spoke the truth. And the funny thing is, is that if if we related to you the things that Andre used to say, they were not ugly and offensive by nature they were simply the truth, which makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> like, it makes people very uncomfortable. When people are being fake, when they're fronting, when they are posing, and somebody actually speaks the truth, it is the most horrible thing you can do. And therefore, he was always getting gossiped about and slandered and that just like i made said me, i mean, i
1: was in i had like a—I was in the red it just the, made me in, love you in, in the cool points it's kind of department. it's
0: one of the things that really made me love andre like at the end of the day it was really truly him that made me love him but it would just kind of add to the ice cream sundae the whipped cream and the cherry on top and the drizzle of sauce actually came from hearing how these people would talk about him behind his back literally trying to slander him, destroy his reputation, make up rumors, um, discredit him. And I just thought it was so it was so petty, and it was also so um, hilarious to me, because I was like, you guys just can't handle the fact that he speaks up. So, you know, Andre's always been an outsider. Like I said, he never went to high school, um, and so he was his own person.
1: I was a rebel... Without a cause. <laughs> yep. No,
0: he, also, he was also a grandma's boy. You know, he's a really good, yeah, a good soul. He was always respectful. Was. He was taking care of his grandparents at that age, like straight up, doing all of this, like, old fashioned, good boy.
1: He was know, living with my grandparents. He was living with his grandparents. Yeah, I, was taking, I was taking care of my grandparents. Taking and, care of yeah. them.
0: Like, dutifully, without complaint, like being such a good grandson, but also a teenage boy with a lot of problems. So, like, you know, he had like these two things going on, but he didn't, he took total responsibility for being good to his grandparents, not shaming them, not disrupting their peace, making sure that he lifted all the heavy things, took out the trash for them, made them happy, spent time with them. He did all to of that. Doctor's
1: appointments and stuff. And
0: to, yeah, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is just unreal. The uh, the character this person has <laughs> like that's what I that's Make what I me cry oh my god and then okay when I really really decided that I was like oh my god Andre is the fucking best was um he had a job at Blockbuster Video okay we're do you really, guys remember
1: Blockbuster Video we're
0: dating it now on <laughs> job at Blockbuster Video and um. I was driving to his house to drop something off um, at the, I think it was a letter or something. I had it some, was
1: the, it was the Diane Arbus art book, book that you had <laughs> stolen from Barnes and Noble.
0: Yeah. So anyways, because
1: you were an expert shoplifter.
0: So anyways, I was dropping off a book for Andre at his grandparents' doorstep and I thought it was going to be a surprise and instead of surprising Andre, because he was at work, instead of surprising Andre, I see him running down the street shirtless with his, like, Blockbuster video shirt in his hand and he's running like he's doing a marathon, he's, like, drenched in sweat and running as fast as he can with his Blockbuster shirt in his fist. And he's running behind my car. I'm looking in the rear view. And then I turn around and there he is just running, 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 running down the street. And so I pull over and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? What's going on? And he was like, oh, I just quit my job. And I was like, what do you mean?
1: Well, and The manager was a dick. Like he, he had scheduled me on the Saturday night. And, and it was a, a night that I had specifically actually asked, asked for off. And he scheduled me on that night. And I, I, you know, I was. Vers- and he
0: just left. He just left the job. He just freed himself from that chain and left. No, I know this is irresponsible. Blah blah blah. But I thought it was so inspiring because I was like, you can just do that. You can just say no. I'm not going down this path. I'm going to find something better. I'm going to do never, better. I,
1: I never did good in jobs anyway. So.
0: That is not true. That's just not true. You're a Capricorn. You do good at every job, but you demand a certain level of respect. Okay, that's true. I I felt like at that age, that was a very rare trait to actually stand up to a real adult. And considering the fact that you didn't come from money, you actually had to work. I mean, all of these things, it was real pressure you were under, and, and you still said no. And I just thought that was so... Dope.
1: Yeah. And then I actually got I actually got a job that I, I liked uh, a few weeks later, so it all worked out well. It worked
0: out great. So that's how we met, um, and we're and celebrating we, yeah, Valentine's Day together. And uh, that's how, 2021. how
1: we bond, And that's how we bonded too. We bonded over our shared love of art and um and and poetry and literature and. It was And the I feel, pain that we were and in. And the pain that we were in. But I feel that it was the art, it's, it has been the art and the poetry and the literature that has allowed that has allowed us to that has given us this medium through which we can better serve one another as that like chironic healer.
0: Absolutely. Andre opened my world up to great cinema. Um, I had always loved old movies. I was a TCM freak, you know. I watched old films. I was really, really great about film prior to 1960. Um, But I did not know about... I didn't know about European art film with any breadth or scope. I didn't know that much. I liked books. I was a literature person. Andre was a cinema guy, and he opened my world to great cinema. Um, far beyond what I could have imagined getting into myself without some like somebody to show me the ropes and bring over the great films. So we started really bonding over going to movies. You know, in Los Angeles, obviously there's a lot of revival theaters. There's a lot of great places. There was at the time. There was at the time. Um, so we used to go to revival cinemas all the time, see all kinds of movies, and it was just so much fun. We also would always go to museums. Um, And this is something that we still would be doing, except everything's Mm. closed. Um, And Rachel
1: would still need books.
0: And so we went to (laughs) the theater all the time, and we went to museums all the time, and mostly we just used these experiences as the background for us to talk and talk and talk and talk, and and always, always, always had a lot to say to each other, and we still do, which is so, so nice. Um, But, yeah, we love... We love art. We also love music so much. And that is another thing that we bonded over was just the incredible love of music that we shared we didn't share all the same favorite music of course like Andre definitely has some of his tastes that do not cross over with mine that is but she she
1: didn't like throbbing gristle um, (laughs) as much as I did no
0: (laughs) but that's cool you know you don't want to be like the same exact person gross but um Andre's Venus and Aquarius can get a little it can get a little out there for me sometimes. And my Venus in Libra can be a little too prim and proper for Andre at times. Um, we don't share all the same tastes in But everything. we love
1: Alfred Hitchcock movies. Dude. So you've all got homework for tonight, um, or this week at least, and that's go see, um, go watch Vertigo.
0: Oh my God, one of the greatest films go ever watch,
1: made. Go watch, go watch
0: Vertigo. <sighs> I... Oh my god! I can't wait to do it. The article. greatest,
1: one of the greatest romantic films I'm gonna, on, <laughs> on, uh, ever made. Shut up! It is. I mean, it's, it was a part of our family. That's why we watched it. It's yeah. cause it was like a, it's a romance, you know?
0: Yeah. It's a so. tragedy. It's a horror film. It's just it's a psychological thriller of the highest degree. It's and outstanding. I've, I've always loved Vertigo. I think I saw Vertigo for the first time when I was nine or ten years old, and. I thought it was me being too young to fully understand it. But as an adult I I've seen it so many times since and I'm like, no, it's just an unbelievably surreal film. It doesn't fully add up. It is like it a dream. It makes no sense. It's so beautiful though, and I love it so much. It leaves me feeling just a it's a it's an inexplicable elixir of feeling. A melancholy, haunted, but also truly like I don't know. It's a truly, um, it leaves you feeling very receptive to the great beauty that lies at the center of tragedy. You I, know? I
1: think that's a really great way of putting it. The great, the great beauty that lies at the center
0: Because of it, there's just something like, so I don't know. It's just such a, it's such a great film. I love Vertigo and I love, um, I love Rear Window as well. But Vertigo has been one of my favorite films for a really long time. It's like a balm on my soul. Um, it's a great one. It's a great one. So so that's what we did for Valentine's Day.
1: Well, that's what we did for Valentine's Day weekend. For we Valentine's we still have Day not weekend. yet done because this is we were recording this on the morning of Valentine's Day. So mm-hmm. we have our we have our plans tonight, which I guess it really should be time for us to start um start getting ready, start getting ready for. So um, maybe we we should wrap this uh, wrap this podcast up by. Um, letting them know where they can find where they can find you and if they liked us where they could find more of us
0: well if you enjoyed listening to this conversation between my husband and I we would love to keep them coming uh, over the coming months if you would like to read my latest blog posts you can find them at aeolianheart.com and if you would like to support this work and also join an amazing community where we come together to do rituals that are presided over by Andre and myself for the new moons and also some significant transits, you can join our Patreon community. We have...
1: That's at uh, patreon.com backslash aolianheart. Thank you.
0: Patreon.com backslash aolianheart. For a dollar a month, you can support our work, and we're just so grateful. Thank you, thank you. For $5 a month, you can get access to a weekly astrology forecast recording, so I call it a voicemail, Um, in addition to getting a lot of special content for free, like my mini classes for specific transits. The next one being Venus and Pisces, which and is a very magical time. I have a whole class devoted to Venus and Pisces. My patrons get those for free. And then, of course, at the... All eight, of your patrons do? I'm talking about the $5 okay. level. Yes, okay. and then the $8 level. You get all of that. You get the classes. You get the weekly voicemails. And you get invited to special magical rituals for the new moons and the special transits. So, yeah, that's what the Patreon's all about. It's a community. It's an awesome place. Uh, the people there are loving it, and we love and them. And they're so much. loving
1: each other too, and For we love sure. them too. We love you. We love you too. All we love our the, patrons. Yeah, we love our patrons.
0: It's amazing. It's such a. It's a really special group. I mean, I really am grateful. It's truly. It's a gift. It's a gift, and um, it's something very much like a tree that you plant. You do the work, you plant the tree, but the way that it grows and the beauty that it offers you and the fruit that it bears, it's beyond your capacity to take credit for. So yes, we planted the seed of this community, but it has grown into a tree and all we can do is appreciate it and take care of it. And that's what we're doing. So if you'd like to join, it would be awesome to see you there and yeah, check out my blogs, At AeolianHeart.com. Thanks for listening. Happy Mm -hmm. Valentine's Day. Happy
1: Valentine's Day.
0: Have a great night.
1: Have a great night. Wie dürfen wir das sein? Wenn die Götter uns bedenken, unsere liebe Kinder schenken, unsere liebe Kinder schenken zu liebe Leid.